On today's episode, we speak to Mitchum Reeves, who was convicted of a crime he did not commit. Here's our conversation with him. We invited you on because our podcast is called Touch by Crime, and you have like a whole lifetime of different experiences with the criminal justice system, which is the crimes of the justice system, I would call it, because mm-hmm. you've been wrongfully convicted. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, you have a very uh, interesting, you know, story from your youth where you were uh, bootlegging. Those are the best stories. Um, although I guess that's that was a crime back then. But uh, those are the great- <laughs> right. <laughs> no, Agre- yeah. Agreed. <laughs> and um, so also. You've just seen everything, it seems to me. And I know about you from the Undisclosed podcast um, where they were doing a season on your wrongful conviction. And it's been three years. They started earlier than they came out. No, not three years, five. I'm sorry, five, six years. They started in 16 and it came out in 2017. Yeah, it came out in 17. And uh, I thought we were in 2020 again. I got caught in the nightmares loop. But we're past that. That's great. We're past 2020. And um, I just thought about how involved you've been with the Undisclosed podcast after they finished your season. Like you, you, you stayed on. Even though that must, it must have been traumatic to relive the whole case again Mm, but also you wanted to do something for others it seemed to me and I think that's so amazing well thank you and I just if uh, if it's okay I would want to start out by talking and I know this might be triggering or sad but for you to talk about, but I just want to talk briefly about the Jeff Titus who just got released. Isn't that cool? That was amazing. Like we all watched the video and because you shared the link that I could see, because there's a lot I can't see because I'm outside of the US, but this one I could see and I've been watching it in a loop. Because (laughs) I, I, it is so amazing. Thing. Susan's there, Jacinda's there, and yeah. and yeah, yes, they're heroes, and obviously Jeff's heroes as well. He says so, and he's just and I just <laughs> thought that you would recognize something from that, you know, when you saw that. Yeah, well, they've been on a roll. I mean, they, you know, they got the, the two guys exonerated here in Floyd County after spending twenty five years. Uh, for a murder that didn't even happen. It was uh, the cop created something that didn't happen. I knew that cop. Uh, he was a real jerk. I, I'm sorry that he didn't live to see those those guys freed. But um, I remember that hearing that case when it happened. I remembered hearing about that. Really? Back then, yeah. Yeah, I've been into the true crime genre for as long as I can remember. Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, 
25 years ago, guys was just kids, you know. But back to Jeff, yeah, I I, I watched that of them bringing him uh, out, getting out of the car, and <laughs> uh, you know, everybody was just—it's hard not to cry. You know? uh, very emotional. But I, 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 what I could relate to, I didn't have that kind of uh, reception when I got out. Uh, my story was a completely different uh, situation, but uh, I know what it's like when you're getting out the night before uh, you can't sleep. And uh, in my case, I was in, at that time, it was the worst prison in the United States, uh, Regional. And um, I stayed awake all night because I've seen people who were getting transferred and uh, somebody start a fight with them or uh, set them up with something and keep them from, you know, just keep them from getting transferred. So uh, it, it, it was, but I know what it was like for all of them. And then I know what it's like, it's going to be like for him. Uh, he's not going to be able to sleep for a while. I don't think I've slept since 1973, but um without the aid of something. And the same thing with the, with the other guys, Joy, I talked to him, Joy Watkins, you know, when he made Vaughn, I was fortunate to be there at the hearing. And it's the guys, the two guys here. So this, I stopped by the car lot a few days ago and um, to see Joy. I was waiting for the dust to settle. Uh, uh, so I waited a little while. And I, so when I went by, well, Lee happened to be there but one of the other guys. And then here come uh, Josh. And there were the four of us happened to be right there together. So I took pictures with the 54 together with us. That was a, that was a cool moment. That was precious. Those pictures were just wonderful. Also, to me, they encapsulate the mad fact that this all happened in Floyd County. One county. Uh, all county. four of you. And... A lot of the detectives are on all cases. Not yours is further back, but you knew the detectives on yeah. on uh, their cases. And um, I just listened to the update of uh, Lee and Josh's story. And, and Josh says the same thing. He says, I don't want to go to sleep. I'm afraid I'm going to wake up. And this was a dream. Yeah. And so I just want to stay up and make sure if it is a dream, I just I'm just going to keep living it. You know, yeah. yeah, that 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 first night I got home, I I, I was I couldn't sleep, and uh, you're you're afraid you're going to wake up, and it's like it's a dream, um, and it it takes a while. So, Mitchum, can you um, brief our listeners on your story? What happened to you? Uh, nineteen seventy four. Uh, I was uh, charged with murder of uh, the woman I had had a child with. We, 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 you know, girlfriend, she went by my last name, but we were never married. She was never divorced, really. But we had had a relationship off and on. This We started out together in the wild 1960s. I mean, just the story about that was... It was a wild times. It was just a wild life. Uh, but 
we had a child together and um, I left Rome in 1970 and I got custody of the child, of the son, Sean. And uh, anyway, I ended up in Atlanta, was doing good, uh, making good money. And I, I wasn't running moonshine anymore, but it was still bringing in bonded liquor to Rome every weekend because Rome was still dry for bonded liquor. And uh, I was in the pot business. I'd, I'd bring in a load of uh, bonded liquor on the weekend, and I would uh, backhaul a load of marijuana back to Atlanta. Uh, I had customers that would buy that by the pound. So I was always making a little money some way or the other. Uh, but when I came to Rome one weekend, and, and I had custody of our son, and Grace had opened up a, another beer joint. Bad mistake. I, I, we got back together. And that was in spring of 74. Uh, her oldest daughter, Charlotte, had uh, gotten involved with a guy who just got out of prison. And his name was Bo Salmon. And um, he was a serial killer. Uh, he, uh, he specialized in killing people. For insurance money. If you had somebody you wanted killed, he'd kill them, you'd collect the money, and he'd split with you. We can't prove it, but, but I was the only one in that house that night that had a huge insurance policy. I had a $100,000 insurance policy. Didn't nobody else have one in there. But um, uh, I had been drugged with uh, quaaludes and morphine. Didn't know it. But I don't remember. Remember uh, anything that happened? I I remember going to pick up my son at the nursery. We closed early that night. The next day was an election day, and in Georgia you had to close on election days. So um, I, I cut it quick as I can. I, I woke up in jail uh, with a detective and a judge reading a murder warrant off to me. And I had no memory, nothing. I didn't, I could not remember anything. So they charged me with murder. Uh, Grace had been killed in the house, uh, shot multiple times. It was an overkill. And um, they, they, I was, that, that murder happened in the city of Rome. So the Floyd County Sheriff's Department was where the jail was. So they had to transfer me to the uh, county jail. But when I got to the jail, uh, man, I was sick. I mean, I, I, I've had a lot of hangovers in my life, and I knew how to cure a hangover. But this was something I've never had. And all I did was ask this deputy. I said, uh, I know y'all going to lock me up up there, but man, can you give me something? I can't keep water on my stuff. And this is what greeted me at the county jail. The county can't afford to take you to the hospital. Well, I didn't ask to go to the hospital. I just asked for something. And you're going to get the death penalty anyway. So why should we waste any time with you? Now, that's what greeted me at the county jail. So the county, this was in August. I was up on the top floor in a side cell. It was two cells. I had a catwalk that went around it. And uh, the glass windows, when you went around that catwalk, they were all broken out. Um, Filthy, dirty cell, and I'm, I mean, I'm dying. Uh, 
So uh, they, uh, uh, my folks were trying to get me, uh, if they could get me to the hospital. Well, the judge, there were two judges involved. The, the, the judge that um, uh, ordered me sent to the hospital was a judge, you know, his name was Scoggin. Scoggin was involved. To understand my story, you have to understand the political arena in Floyd County. It was the Dixie Mafia, the Mafia, the Ku Klux Klan, all of that was operating around here, and the judge was on the tape. If you, uh, there was all kind of stuff happening here. Well-known brothels uh, was operating, and everybody paid for protection. And uh, you, this judge was on the tape. So he ordered me sent to the hospital, but it was to Milledgeville, Georgia, which was for the criminal insane. And because I didn't have a memory of what happened, well, that's where they sent me. Uh, and it was, the only, the good thing about it was it was air conditioned. That was, that was the good thing about it. So I stayed there nine weeks. And then they brought me back, put me back in that same cell. And um, the door opened up. And they was bringing in a drunk man. And I'm thinking, damn, I hope they don't put him in the cell with me. Meet your lawyer. So that was my lawyer uh, that they had appointed me. Because I had, had no, you know, every, I lost everything I had. I lost my money, what money I had, they stole. So I had nothing. And uh, But I had managed to pay some attorneys, attorneys out of Atlanta who got custody of my son and who had made the will for me. Uh, it, they were out of Atlanta, and that's only lawyers I knew. So I used them at the uh, preliminary hearing, and that's where they you go and they decide that they're going to bound you over for murder. Anyway, so I met the lawyer for the first time. The guy came in and asked me for five dollars to get a pint of liquor with. I didn't. I didn't have five dollars. I didn't have nothing. So. I didn't see him again. Uh, he came back to the jail again, and he was drunk then. And the sheriff of the jail said, if he if he didn't come back sober, he's going to have to lock him up. I said, don't put him in the cell with me. Uh, and that was the only time I met him till, <laughs> till the day of the trial. But uh, that, there, was a, there was a club here. Uh, it was an Amvets club, and it was called the Ten Thousand Dollar Club. This this club was uh, see in Rome. They had clubs where you could go in like a regular bar, and you could get anything you wanted to drink. But those were under protection; they paid for protection, and they were private clubs. Well, lawyers, doctors, people like that could go there, but because I'd bring in bonded liquor or running moonshine, they won't put me in jail. But they never could catch me. Uh, uh, that was the one thing. They, they never could catch me. And uh, I think that, that was one reason they, they hated me so bad. There were several reasons. But anyway, the finally, the, uh, now it's 1976, or January 76, uh, they, they're going to have the trial. Now, I'd only met the lawyer twice. He was drunk. 
day of the trial, he was drunk. And uh, the, the judge told him, said, if you're not in shape tomorrow, I'll have to appoint someone else to this trial. Well, the next day he was there, but he was so hung over. The man was sick. He, uh, he died nine months later after my trial. So they started the trial at like nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, my sister was there taking notes. And from her notes, they started the trial at nine o'clock. Um, they took a recess. They struck a jury. Uh, one lady uh, in the jury was a judge's secretary. And um, so at the testimony of these two girls, the daughters, which contradicted each other, um, uh, they, they found me. Oh, when they struck the jury, they had to get another lawyer to strike the jury because this lawyer was shaking so bad and was in such bad shape. And they got a guy named Horace Clare. Well, I knew him. He used to, he he bought liquor from us. Uh, he drank a lot too. He just happened to be sober that day. So they struck the jury. Uh, long story was they found me guilty. Sentenced me to life in five hour trial. For five hours. Five you know, hours. Five hour trial. And uh, one lady that worked at a bank said uh, she didn't want to miss any time from work. So they hurried up with the decision. And um, uh, when I was arrested, I had, uh, I had made it to my parents' house with the child. Uh, I, I, best thing I could remember was when I did get to the house, uh, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to the court. Uh, one woman... It's kind of hard to keep track of all the crazy things because it's yeah. it's insane. It really, really it's, is. It's hard to tell it in a few minutes. It's, you know, I, sometimes I tend to just, it happened 48 years ago, uh, be 49 years this year in August. And uh, I, I get trying to tell everything in a few minutes and I can't. So. And you don't have to, you don't have to because you're the one who gets to decide what, what you want to, you know, tell us uh, and talk about. Exactly. I was going to say that. Well, did that help you some there? Did that? Well, did it did. Yeah. And and I, I just wanted to uh, point out that um, Bo Salmon, you didn't know or none of you knew that he was a serial killer at that time. And he did it. That was found out years later. Because he did Susan. it. So, yeah. 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 We went... Uh, I, I served uh, seven years in, in, in the state of Georgia at that time. If you sentenced to life, you, you know, the law was you come up for parole in seven years, but as a rule, you're going to do 11, 15 years if you make it at all. But uh, by 1981, I had went through Reesville, Carroll County Prison, uh, back to Rome Prison, and then uh, I was working as a runaround. Uh, I was a trustee at the uh, Annex Courthouse. Annex Courthouse housed the county police station and the commissioner's Floyd County Water Department. So that's where I was working. Well, a detective named Jerry Boyd called me in the office. He said, man, the GBI was here, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, and said they were here and they have uh, uh, had uh, arrested Bo Salmon for a murder in another county in northern Georgia. 
and said they got an informer that tells them that you were not there when Grace was killed, and that Bo and his wife, Grace's daughter, were involved in eight, nine more murders after they killed Grace. And um, so I thought, well, the GBI going to help me do something, you know. I never did hear back from them at all. Uh, Bo was sentenced to life in prison for that murder where he was hired by a, a, a kid's stepfather to kill this kid to collect an insurance policy. And um, he was sentenced to life for that. So what happened, we believe what happened, what Susan found out later, all I know was I came up for parole in August of 81, and I never met with the parole board. I didn't meet with the parole officer. They just let me go on parole. Well, I didn't look back, man. I ran out the wow. door buying and had to get the hell out of here. And um, so I'm, I was out first time on parole without meeting a parole officer. I didn't question nothing. I was just, you know, to get out of there. But after I got out and then I figured, okay, uh, but I got nine years of parole. See, I did 16 years. I did seven in and nine out. And then finally did meet with the parole officer. So, so I, I did nine years on parole. Well, after that nine years, I was eligible for a uh, administrative pardon. And they gave me that, which got my citizenship back, my rights back in 1990. I could vote again. And then it was 1990 when I decided I wasn't going to try to do anything while I was on parole because they'd set me up, send me back, you know. So after that was when my sister and I started working on the case, trying to get something done. But what happened, what Susan found out, fast forward, I went through uh, a bunch of stuff trying to get things done. Never could get anything accomplished, really. Can, but, can you, because you didn't, you wanted the conviction off from, of you. You wanted to be exonerated, right? I wanted, I wanted the murder charge off of me. I mean, I got my rights back. I can vote and all that, but I'm still a convicted murderer. That's still on my record. And um, that's what I wanted uh, off of me and had no idea of how to go about it. But we did find out about uh, the murders that both Simon and uh, they committed uh, more murders. We, we learned some of the, well, Susan really did it. So uh, from 1990 to actually uh, 2016, when Susan came on board, is when things start popping. We learned things through her investigation. And I'm so fascinated by this, and I think it's encouraging and also very scary that you can still solve these cases so many years later if you try to get the FOIA requests if you try to if someone really looks into it but you can't do it yourself that's oh no no Susan when Susan got involved uh, 2016 they, she was here working on Joey Watkins story uh, and I got a uh, I mean man it was kind of like Mary Poppins dropping out of the sky into my kitchen uh, I didn't know what a podcast was I 
I had no clue what a podcast was. I still had a flip phone. Uh, and I'd been a while before I even got a cell phone. So she called me up and, and told me they were working on this case and she'd like to talk to me. So she came here to the house. Ended up, she came here with Rabia and Colin came here and I met them. Uh, Susan wasn't planning on doing my story. See, they, they work on people who are still in, in, in prison. Well, I've been out for a long time. But in my case, she, she was just amazed with it. And what we had was, see, my transcripts had been destroyed. There was no record of my case. The Floyd County had nothing on it. It was as though it had never happened. But what they didn't know was my sister had a record of everything. She she got transcripts. She had notes of time, dates, everything that happened. And man, she had a lot. Susan had all that uh, to work with. So she started working on the case and still do enjoy. So Susan and I spent a lot of late nights. I don't sleep too good anyway. And Sometimes we'd be talking on the phone at two o'clock in the morning and texting back and forth. She'd find something and question. I burned that little flip phone up. I finally had to break down and get a smartphone. <laughs> so uh, I did. I got a message from her, and this was in 2017. She was going to North Carolina to interview a woman who knew Bo Simon. This was not. This was not the informer that told him I wasn't there. This was Lana Inslee. Lana, <laughs> Lana was a bank robber. Uh, she, she'd uh, gotten involved with a guy and they robbed banks. And she finally, uh, finally got caught and had to do some time. Uh, they, they didn't get caught while they was robbing the bank. But anyway, that's another story. Lana's a cool, cool person. Well, she knew Bo Simon. She worked at a, a, a bar up there. So we would listen to the undisclosed every Monday night here in this kitchen with my wife and daughter and granddaughter. And we'd listen to undisclosed doing our story. Well, this night was the, when she had interviewed Lana and we heard, you know, undisclosed had two and a half million listeners oh, yeah. all over the world. <clears throat> well, when we're doing the story, they were getting, messages from people wanting to know more about me, wanting to hear more about my story, and wanting me to do a podcast, they'd say. This man needs a podcast. Well, I, I'm just now learning what a podcast is. Give me a, give me a minute, and uh, I'll look into it. But um, So we were here that night, and we heard for the first time Lonnie Ansley tell how Bo Simon told her he killed Grace and why he killed Grace and how he fooled the police by pretending that he was drunk. And he was trying to recruit her to help him kill more people. And that's how we learned what happened that night. At that time, it had been 40, uh, what it was, 44 years, 46 years, uh, that I didn't know what really happened. So I heard for the first time with the rest of the world how Grace died. Uh, it was it was an emotional. I mean, it it was it's still emotional talking about. It. 
And uh, it was just amazing to hear. So I'm thinking, okay, Susan uh, told me, she said, now I may not be able to get you a pardon, but I'm going to get you known. I'm going to get your story out. And buddy, she did. So she did go to the parole office, Prague and Pro Board's attorney with uh, Claire Gilbert with the Georgia Innocent Project. And they really thought they'd get me a pardon from Lana's, uh, what Lana said. You know, I, I, I know that there's probably never going to be any hope of me getting uh, anything done through the judicial system. My opinion on the judicial system, their mission in life is to protect themselves. They don't want to admit they're wrong. They're, and it's, it's very rare if you hear them say that, like I heard them apologize to Josh and Lee, the judge, actually apologized to them for what the state had done. I was amazed at that. Uh, but the party and parole board, when they went there, they told them, well, Bo Simon's not alive to defend himself. The guy killed a bunch of people, but he's not alive to defend himself. Well, Clara Gilbert with the Innocent Project, she, she was through, you know, and I can understand she's got, they're trying to help people who are still in. But I believe, Susan believed if they had pursued it, they could have still, uh, Susan still thinks I will eventually get a, see the party pro board have the authority to grant a pardon for reason of innocence. They have that authority to do that. But uh, that lawyer said that Bo wasn't alive to defend himself. So I, I knew then I wasn't going to get anything done. So I knew then the only justice I may get is poetic justice. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Check back next week for our continued conversation with Mitch and Reeves. And if you haven't already, please subscribe so you can get notified of when our new episodes release and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Touch by Crime. Thank you, and we hope to see you again next week.